All right. Well, good morning again. Hey, we do this each Sunday. Will you do me a favor and welcome our first-time guests as well as those attending online? Just putting your hands together. All right. Well, we are glad that you're here with us. And if it is your first time, we just want to again say welcome. We have a gift for you in the back after service. Come on, stop by our Next Steps table and make sure to get uh, that gift. If you have your Bibles, I know I asked you to open them. And some of you are like, well, well, where? You didn't tell us where. So let me tell you, John chapter 13, we're going to be reading a couple passages out of that scripture. We have been... In 1 Corinthians 13, we've been looking at love and how we are called as followers of Christ to love like Jesus. And that can be very different from how we were taught how to love. We may, whether we realize it or not, we've all been given a blueprint for life. We've been given a framework for thinking. And for some of us, we had a leg up in our childhood. God Um, In the family we were in, we would look back and say, man, we were really blessed. We understood what love looked like. For others, your circumstance was different. You're like, I didn't just get a leg down. I had no legs. I mean, we were not we were not a loving family. In fact, I was discipled in hate, so to speak. Not me. I'm just saying maybe that's part of your story. I was not, though. Uh, my parents may say I operated with hate. I was certainly not disciple in it, somebody. But um, I will say that what we must be careful of is, listen, here's the thing. We want to intentionally follow Jesus. We want to intentionally follow Jesus. And here's a big, we'll, we'll just say a discipleship 401 statement, not 101, but a 401 statement. Something clips over in your heart and in your mind. When you stop making excuses to not love like Jesus. I'm going to tell you, maturity in the faith looks like loving like Jesus when it's very hard, when it's very difficult. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging a church in Corinth that, man, their backstory was very poor. They were pagan to the pagan to the pagan. They put American pagans... They'd put them in a different category. Romans were way worse in a lot of ways. And so Paul, though, is encouraging them. He's preaching to them. He's leading them through this letter in 1 Corinthians on how to love like Jesus. And he paints what love looks like. You remember, if you've followed along over the last few weeks, love is kind, love is patient, love is not self-seeking, love is not easily angered. Those are all attributes of agape Love. That's how Jesus loves you and me. I'll bring you up to speed. Here's uh, uh, what we looked at the last several weeks. Week one, we talked about a renovation of the heart. Really, it does begin on the inside. It's not about behavior me- me- modification. I was about to say behavior medica- medication. Maybe there's a little bit of that, but that's a different message, a different time. It's not about trying to figure out how to behave, behavior modification. No, our journey with God is becoming like Him. Paul encourages us, man, we're going to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And so it starts in the heart. Second, we looked at love is patient. Third, love is kind. Fourth, love is not self-seeking. Fifth, we looked at love is not easily angered. Sixth, we looked at last week, love keeps no record of wrongs. I was just glancing over these as I was preparing for um, today's message, and I had one conclusion. 
love is impossible. <laughs> I was looking over these things and I was just like, my goodness, love is impossible. I'm, I say that tongue in cheek, but it is really impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen, somebody? I mean, it's funny how the Lord, it seems like, likes to test us in our, uh, in our love for others. You know, he'll just put people across our path to tempt or to test us, you know, especially on that love is not easily angered. Somebody, how many of you know the world is full of people who like to test us and test our anger? How many of you, it isn't a spiritual gift, but how many of you say you were born with a gift of anger? All right, I, maybe I'm alone. All right, we got a couple. Right, we got a couple. All right. Don't believe that lie. It is not a gift, okay? It may, it, it may be helpful now, but it's not a gift, but... Today, I want to talk about, it's a, it's a long title, but it's a simple point. And I'm wrapping up, I'm kind of putting a bow at the end of this message series. If you are going to learn anything, learn to love well. If I could sum up 1 Corinthians 13. I think Paul may give me a thumbs up on this title. If you're going to learn anything, learn to love well. The world around us needs Christ followers, needs witnesses of his that have learned and are learning to love others well. Love, as Paul would say at the end of 1 Corinthians, love endures. There's faith, hope, and love at the end, but love is the greatest of all these. If you ever give some thought to your past, or give some thought, maybe just thinking, contemplating some parts of your life, isn't it amazing that the conversations that had the greatest impact on your life, they were surrounded with love. It may not have been easy, they may, have, may not have been happy-go-lucky, but I guarantee you, as you reflect, you could look back and see, you know, looking back now, they loved me, and they shared some truth I needed to hear, or they shared some hope I needed to hear, but they did it in such a way that I could understand. And that's the power of love. Love can open doors that nothing else can. I want you to think about John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus is with his closest followers. He says this, a new command I give you. A new command I give you. What is it? Love one another. As I have loved you. There it is. So you must love one another. And here is a verse that we never grow out of. Here is a verse we never can leave behind. It says, by this, all humanity, or in this text, all men will know that you are my disciples if you, three words, love one another. Perhaps you're familiar with the news and you know about what happened this past week on Tuesday evening in Metro Atlanta. That eight people were killed, six of them Asian. And they're still finding out all the details. But the fact that somebody could see somebody created in the image of God 
and still take their life. How many of you know that's the epitome? That's the farthest we can get away from love. Amen? But the thing that boggled my mind is something that was not on the front page of any of the the news sources I was seeing. The one thing that just continued to boggle my mind and made today's message so urgent was something that was found out by some other sources. That the shooter was baptized three short years ago in the largest Christian Protestant denomination in our country. He's baptized in church. Supposedly would fall within the context of having the adjective Christian over his life. And can I tell you, nothing could be farther from the truth. My prayer, my hope, is that as we continue to grow as individuals rooted in Christ, we would recognize that there cannot be, there cannot be, hear me loud, there cannot be this disconnect between living as a son or a daughter of God and the behavior that we give and show and live on a daily basis. That was the tr- most, the, the, the trauma of it all, the, the disappointment, the grieving, the just absolute awe I was in on, on finding out. I didn't find out Tuesday, I found out Wednesday, and I was just like, oh my goodness, this is so dramatic. Well, I was following along on some other things and found out this reality that three years ago, and I thought, God, why can we have such a disconnect? And I, I would say that's nothing on the denomination. They're a tremendously good denomination. That's nothing on even the local church. But what it has to do, it has to do with the, the nature of the human heart that we so desire in our culture to sometimes know more and have more information. But can I tell you, in your walk with God, if you know more, if you can quote all the verses, if you can go through all of the duty side of Christianity, Christianity and yet lack love. Paul would say, you have missed it. I have missed it all. In fact, Paul, Paul, Paul would frame it like though I can speak in the tongues of angels, but have not love, I gain nothing. Though I, though I have all manner of, of understanding the depth and the mysteries of God, but have not love. I have nothing. I think if Paul was to be aware of these circumstances this past week, and <laughs> though I've been saved, baptized, membered within a context of a church, but have not love, I can still miss the heart of God. I was just so awakened to this and the good news is I had none of you in mind when I was coming to that reality this week. So, so everybody, you can let out a deep breath. <laughs> but I was grieved. I was grieved. I mean, I, I, I kid you not. I was, I was grieved. And, 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 I, and I thought, now, I, I, I couldn't quite go there where this particular person went in their actions and deeds. But I thought, you know, how subtle it is of the devil. To take a heart 
and so twisted in such a way that it is self-serving, unkind, deeply rooted in the most demonic activity we can find. And what is that? That is religion without relationship. It's religion without relationship. I got to thinking about this and I was like, hmm, that'll preach. I was like, I got to thinking about this. And you know what I was reminded of? I was reminded of Acts chapter 8. You know who I was reminded of? Oh, you know, just the most famous evangelist on the face of the earth. I'm not talking about Billy Graham, somebody. Talking about Saul, who'd become the apostle Paul. And I'm talking about at the end of Acts, the very end of Acts chapter 7, two verses 59 through 60, and it leads into Acts chapter 8, verse 1. We can bring them up. This is Saul, the greatest evangelist known in, in Christian history, of course, after Jesus. We see verse 59 is the ending of the longest sermon in the New Testament, somebody. Outside of Jesus teaching and preaching, the longest sermon ever given was by a follower of Christ named Stephen. And he's presenting the gospel. He's presenting the story of God to a group of Pharisees and a group of scribes. And he's just kind of sharing the love of God and the story that's found in this person, Jesus. And at the end of it all, they were infuriated. They were so mad, so stir crazy, they began to pick up rocks and to do what they do and stone Stephen. And in verse 59, it says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Here it is. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. The disconnect is a real thing. The disconnect is a real thing. Can I tell you, in many cases, the battle for the next generation in our faith and in Christianity, they need to know followers of Christ love like Jesus. Because a disconnect is so often real. Parents, you know this to be right. I know this to be right. Sometimes I am right in what I am saying. But I am wrong in the way I am saying it. And the tone I'm saying it in. Come on, somebody. Everybody knows that, right? It's possible to be right. Believe it or not, I've, I've even experienced that as a husband. I never thought I would. Never thought I would. But I've experienced that. There are, there are moments I've been in conversation with Kelly and, and, and <clears throat> every once in a while, come on, man, you know what I mean. Every once in a while, you're right, okay? You just know that you know that. You know, nine, time, nine times out of ten, you've been wrong, but that one time you know you're right, you're like, by golly, I'm going to win this argument because it's rare I'm right, but I know that I'm right. <laughs> no examples will be shared from the platform. Amen. Washed in the blood, baby, washed in the blood. But no. I have been, I remember, man, I have been right. You know I'm right. And I'm like, where 
is this superhuman strength coming from? I did not know my voice could project so loudly. I did not know I could supernaturally shake the walls of this house with how loud, you know, and I am, I am right. <laughs> and uh, it did not go over well. And I was right. I was right, right as rain. And can I tell you? There's something interesting. I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to get too philosophical on us this morning. But I do want to say something kind of interesting. The Greeks, so who Paul would speak to, the Greeks, they had a way of thinking, and the philosophical people of the day, which they treasured philosophy. We don't treasure philosophy as much, and I'm okay with that, but they treasured philosophy. And there's a way of thinking that's called transcendental. And it prioritizes three things. Truth, beauty, and goodness. Truth, beauty, and goodness. And here's, here's me double-checking, make sure I got those right. I did. Round of applause, please. No, I'm playing. Truth, beauty, and goodness. I, w- I just want to share this with you for a second. And I want you to just get a picture of Christianity sharing our faith to the world around us. Truth uses logic. Everybody's familiar with logic. Okay? Logic is definitely based in our mind. And it's when we perceive, uh, in our our case, a story, the story of Jesus. We understand it. We come to the revelation through the Holy Spirit that it is true. And then Christian apologetics, if you're familiar with that, there was a time I really enjoyed Christian apologetics. And so it's, 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 it's like the reason for Christ, great books, or anything written by a man named Lee Strobel. Tremendous books, and here's what it empowers you or equips you to do. It empowers and equips you to argue with love, somebody, the faith to maybe somebody who's an agnostic or who's an atheist who wants nothing to do with God. So it uses logic in a good way. You're right in your argument, okay? But if you've never tried to defend the faith or logically share the faith with somebody, you're in for a treat because what you'll find is some people, they are not following your logic at all. They're like, that still sounds kind of ridiculous. And you're like, no, were you listening to a word I said? I mean, and you just, you're just going and going and going, and you got all the science, all the, man, you, 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 you got Wikipedia memorized. I mean, you got books memorized, and you just, you come up with all your information, and they like, nah, not down. Well, then there's this goodness side, okay? And that is what we call ethics, Christian ethics, can I tell you? Christian ethics makes a tremendous difference in the community or the world around us. It does. We want to be people that are yielded and led by the Holy Spirit, honoring one another, caring for one another. But there is also a Christian ethic. We would almost call that the laws, the Torah, the commandments. They lead us to life. Christian ethic made a tremendous difference, a incredible witness to the world around us. For the first time, Christians would come alongside and validate women. That wasn't happening, but Christians did. They would validate children. That was definitely not happening. And that's why, because of the Christian ethic. 
But I don't know if you've noticed uh, lately, but some of our people who don't know God don't care a whole lot about our ethics. And so for you to argue how right you are and how stupid they are for behaving the way they are, how many of you know that don't work so well? You did what? With whom? When? Boy, you crazy. What are you thinking? And then what do we do? We bring out our list. Don't you know? Thou shalt. Blah, blah, blah. Thou shalt. And we bring our Christian ethic. Now hear me. That's very, very important. I stand by that. Come on. We preach those. We'll have a whole series on them. We believe in that. But can I tell you? There's something given to us by God that has a way of slipping in, of coming through the back door of people's souls and disarming them. It's called beauty. And I would say that when we love, it's a beauty expression for our witness of Christ. That there are some conversations, though we are right, we are wrong. Though our ethic is good and godly, the influence it has may not make the difference. We pray it does. We hold to an ethic because we honor God with our temples and in the way we treat one another. But can I tell you what seems to be the language across the board, whether people love God or want nothing to do with God, if they are loved, you gain a voice of hope in their life. And, uh, and, and I think what I, I, I really recognized is the book of Acts is wonderful stories. And you can kind of look at a few different lives, but predominantly the story of Saul. In that Saul was so full of zeal and passion and he, he had everything going for him. And yet he dramatically missed the heart. God and the Holy Spirit comes in him and on him and he is so transformed into the likeness of Christ that he begins to forgive people he begins to show kindness and compassion and God moves in his life in such a dramatic way can I tell you the same invitation stands for you and for me. And we, we must recognize that our witness is always on display. It's always on display. And so often, if you're anything like me, you're trying to, you're trying to maybe argue the faith. You're trying to, you know, well, have you considered this or considered that? I mean, I would always remember, but I can almost always have an audience when I get off my high horse for a little bit and tell them, you know, I, I forgot something. You were created in the image of God. And my faith, we believe that you're a daughter and a son of God. Well, we believe no matter what circumstances you're in and what you're walking through right now, we do believe hands down you were created in the image of God. And that the heart of our father loves you 
And so no matter, we got some major differences. We got some major political differences. We got some major differences in ideology. We got a whole sort of different framework for living. But one thing I recognize is God loves you. Too bad for you, so do I. (laughs) We, if we're not careful, we can create walls when God's trying to build bridges. And I don't know this, but there's a chance that the people you are praying to come to Christ, don't stop praying. Keep praying. But there's a chance that the logic of your argument is not getting through. There there may be a chance that the ethic of your argument is not getting through. There may stand a good chance that the beauty of your faith will get through. And Jesus, think about Jesus. Think about with me. He's in the moment. He's only got a few more days, maybe a few more hours with his disciples. In fact, no, at this point, a few more hours with them. And what does he choose to say in those verses? He says, a new command I give you. A new command I give you. Love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We're going to end very practically. Very practically for you and for me. Here's one thing I've realized. I alluded to it earlier with some of my examples. The people we encounter on a day-to-day basis, they have no way of interpreting our heart except by our words and our actions. I wish there was another way. You could be like, no, you know, that's really not what I believe. You know when I was screaming all the right things? I was actually wrong. You know, you, you've you got you to gotta give some, some understanding that the people in your workplace, the people in your family, the person in your marriage, dating relationships or friendships, they have no way of interpreting who you are outside of your words and your actions. So I want you to think about that as we end Today, so our words, people around us can only interpret our love in three ways. First, our words. Very quickly here, our words. Proverbs 18, 21, one of my favorites. It says that the power, or excuse me, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Can I tell you, love has a way of communicating. We know that, right? We know that. We receive things. We, we, we know that. We, when, when people speak to us, their ways of, of understanding, they, they love us by the way that they're communicating towards us. On a very practical level, this is true. Very practical way. In fact, it's confusing, right? It's confusing after an argument. and say, well, I love you. I love you. Or how about this? You ever said that? I said I loved you. 30 years ago at the altar, we get married. Come on, you know, that's the, that's the old joke. It's like, man, you got you to step it up a little bit more, okay? Don't be afraid. But our words, if you think about that for a moment, I want you to think about what Proverbs 18, 21 says. The power of life and death on the power of the tongue. 
Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Many times, people need to hear the hope we have in God. Many times, our greatest witness is by encouraging someone. By forgiving them when they don't deserve our forgiveness. Can I tell you those words, big two words, I'm sorry. Can that sometimes be the most spiritual thing you do the whole week? Because God doesn't take words lightly. You remember from Genesis, right? God spoke and form created. I believe intrinsically in our DNA because we're created in the image of God. That our words can't be taken lightly or haphazardly. We can't really flourish in a quote-unquote bad day. Words, it's kind of like a, a, a toothpaste tube. That's a good example. Once they're squirted out, they're really hard. The toothpaste. Have you ever tried to put toothpaste back in the tube? No. That's what, some of you are going to go home and make that your afternoon. But I'm telling you, <laughs> all right? Don't do it. It's a, waste. it's a waste of time. Be like, you know, that pastor was right. I don't know about a lot of what he said, but that thing about the toothpaste. No, but you, you, you cannot get it back in. Can I tell you? It's the same with words. It's the same with words. You know this to be true. There are things you and I are still praying through because of something somebody said years ago. I'll tell you. And, and oftentimes, it's flippant. It's casual. So when we let down our guards, sometimes we can say the most hurtful things. But I think as witnesses of Christ, when we preach on love is kind, this, this agape love, it keeps no record of wrongs. Can I tell you? <laughs> it needs to come out your mouth. It needs to come out your mouth. Keeping no record of wrongs, let me just play this out practically, means you don't bring up past mistakes from your spouse and throw it in their face. That'll save your marriage right there, somebody. Amen. You're welcome, all right? You're welcome. I know this because, again, I found myself in arguments where I know I'm right, and then I forgot. I've got a whole battalion of record-keeping that I could use in the moment, in that argument. The Holy Spirit comes over me, duct tapes my mouth. I love you! No, I'm kidding, but it's like I, I love it. I'm telling you, though, our words, our words, our words. Parents, let me just encourage you. Parents, don't repeat cycles. Don't repeat cycles. Don't repeat cycles. Forgive your parents and be true. Man, don't call. Idiot should not be in your home. Okay? You're welcome. I'm not going to say a whole plethora of words that should not be in your home because we want this to stay family friendly. But I'm just telling you, your words... Your words are so, so important. Our tone, you think about our tone. Like I've, I've said this now multiple times, but we can be right. But if our tone is wrong, they can't hear anything but our tone. They can't hear anything but our tone. They can't hear anything but our tone. Repent, you sinner. God loves you. Okay. okay. Think I'm still going to go to my rock concert, though. Freak face. No, I'm just telling you, like, repent, you sinner. Jesus said that. 
He said that. I mean, he did. Did he not? You can read the God. Did he not say, repent, you sinner? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's all over the Bible. Repent, rethink, be transformed, change. And then God loves you. Man, that's, that's all over the Bible. See what the tone can do there? It just, it just changes everything. Repent, repent. Why repent? Because, man, living for the idols of this world, pleasing every physical desire you have, it doesn't lead to life. Trust God. Trust Jesus. Again, that's tone. That's timing. You and I, we have that opportunity on almost a daily basis. Don't be the, fur, <laughs> the example I just used, please. Or if you are, don't say you're with Hillside. You know, I'll give you a list of other churches. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm s- s- sort of kidding. Okay. Sort of. Our words and then... Our actions, our actions, our actions. I have here, every deed is a seed. Every deed is a seed. Every deed is a seed planting life into the people around us. Every time, every time. I'm telling you, nothing you do for Christ is ever wasted. No mention of his name. No prayer you ever pray ever goes to waste. Paul even says, Galatians 6, 9, keep sowing, keep sowing, keep sowing, keep sowing, because in due season you'll reap a harvest. Can I tell you, sow deeds of love, sow deeds of hope, sow deeds of righteousness and goodness, and kindness. And I want to I really encourage you, we have to learn to love. For some of us, we got a blueprint. I'm telling you, it, in a lot of ways, you may have got a great blueprint for how to love well. For others, it's been very hard. And you're trying to put the pieces together. I want to encourage you, man, learn to love well. One of the game changers for me was the book called The Five Love Languages. Y'all can just Google it later, but it will transform your life. Because here's another part of of learning how to love well. Not everybody receives love in the same way. Not everybody receives love in the same way. Some of you know this to be true. You buy your spouse a gift. They fall over. They faint. It's like the best thing that could ever happen. Others of you, you buy your spouse a gift, and they look at you and say, how much was that? Why'd you do that? Why'd you go and buy me a new outfit for? I still got the same clothes. I'm good. Honey, these got decades in them. You know what I mean? But others of you, and and what's happening in there? Well, (laughs) there's a lot happening there. But somebody expresses love or communicates by gift giving. Problem is, the person receiving, that's not their jam. Five love languages I've found makes it really intentional. For our life. I'll bring them up for you. Yeah, thank you guys. Words of affirmation. Acts of service. Receiving gifts. Quality time. Physical touch. This changed. Changed my outlook and perspective. Especially in my marriage. But in life. Together. Really, here's what we have to do. We have to learn as well how to love others well. We have to learn how we communicate and how we receive love. One of those shows up as the top two on almost every person's list. Guess which one? Somebody. That's exactly right. Words of affirmation. You could do a free test. It's online. Five love, something five love languages. Just Google it. You do the free test. Find out exactly what, you were, what yours are. Almost always, 
within the top two words of affirmation. Can I tell you, it's because we long, we long to hear words of hope. We long to hear words of how we're making it, how we're not failing it. Can I tell you, there may be people in your life who needs to know not all the things that God's against, but they may need to know all the things that God is for. Our culture, our cultural climate right now is almost baiting us. It's very easy. It would be very easy for me to have like a six-year series on all the things God is against. American culture is making it very great right now and easy. You're right. That didn't go over as well as I thought. I thought, I thought it would be. <laughs> You're like, some of y'all like, preach it. Can we do that? No. We do. We do. I mean, there are some things that, that God isn't for. But can I tell you, again, sometimes people need to hear just that all that God is for. Hospitals exist because of Christians. Women's place in society. It was Christ followers who validated them. Children being cared for and fed. The poor in the community. Greek culture, they didn't give a rip. It was Christ followers who over 2,000 years of work have turned culture upside down. They need to hear and know that God is a God that is loving and towards them. And they also need to understand that it's his kindness that leads them and leads us to repentance. And the last one, the quickest, our consistency. So our words, our actions. And here's the beautiful thing. I make a guarantee for you. If you keep your eyes on Christ, if you keep your eyes on Christ, He promises to transform you in his timing. Come on, we're not always going to say the right things. We're honestly, we're not always going to do the right things. But that's where his grace, his mercy comes in and does what only it can do. But it, it does need to be on our mind that our consistency needs to be there for the world to see. That we speak words. Can I tell you, when you speak words, it builds trust or it breaks trust down. That's why our words, why our deeds, so people can be like, oh, you are a Jesus follower. Can I tell you, when you wear your Christian shirt out in public, people want to know that the words and the actions are behind them. Some of y'all have never worn your hillside shirt. What's the deal? What's the deal? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're like, Pastor, I'm waiting for my witness to catch up <laughs> with your generosity. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just having fun. But seriously, no. That's it. That's it. Come on, let's prepare our hearts as we pray. We're going to end with worship as we have been the last few weeks as well, just with a song. But my hope and my prayer is for each of us that there would be no disconnect. There was in the Corinthian church, there's a, there's a chance that there could be in our lives as well. What, one of the things I pray every, every day, Lord, would you give me a soft heart? Would you keep my heart soft for you and for others? The reason I say that and I pray that is because I know how quickly one's heart can become hard and how quickly we can become cold. I want to encourage you. Fix your eyes on Christ. Keep coming to Him, learning His ways, 
following the God, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel story, see how Jesus treated others. And let's ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you help me to be like that? Would you help me to love? Would you help me to forgive? Would you help me to bring peace into situations? Not cause harm, but to bring peace. He's faithful. He's faithful. He'll do it. Come on, let's pray. God, again, thank you, Holy Spirit, for your love. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your conviction. God, we ask that if there's any area in our life that isn't pleasing to you, right now we just repent. We ask you, God, forgive me. Lord, if there's a conversation we know we had this past week that we need to apologize to the person for, help us. Lord, don't let us become victims of our own pride, but may we walk in love. May we walk in hope, God, because we know the world is watching. The world is listening. God, may we show them a witness that is beautiful and good and true by the power of the Holy Spirit.